We're in a series right now on the, um, the Apostle Paul. Um, just so you know, the way that the, the pattern that I do our, our sermons, um, I'll do a book of the Bible on one series, and then I'll do a topical series. I don't know, like, why is your marriage falling apart or something like that? Um, and then I'll do uh, a biography. And so today we're doing, we're going to be picking up the biography of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is if you if you're a student of the bible you love paul i mean paul is just unavoidable you just he wrote you know more than half of the new testament he's a huge figure and uh, i guess you could say that we even get our our theology from paul our new testament theology from paul and it's it's very easy to obsess on paul because it's so deep and rich, and, then, and you're trying to get your head around this guy's brain. And when you begin to read his letters, you, I feel like I know the guy. Like, I, I, I feel like I know his personality when I read his letters. I, I, I even feel like I know what he looks like. And, and maybe he looks a little bit different than everybody else, but I, like, I think I can see the guy. And here's the, here's the, the bit of the... I don't want to say danger, but here's a little bit of a pitfall that we might fall into when we get so obsessed with Paul. Paul is not Jesus. Paul is an apostle. And even though he has some of the most amazing, brilliant, mind-blowing statements that the world has ever uttered, Jesus trumps Paul each and every time. So, I mean, it always goes back to what would Jesus do? What would Jesus write? What would he think? Uh, we are called to have the mind of Christ, not the mind of Paul. Yet, we've got to lean into this guy and figure out what he's saying. Another reason why I, I picked to do the biography of Paul is because at the end of this month, there is this movie coming out with Jim Caviezel on the Apostle Paul, and I think everybody should see it. It's going to be great. Okay, so um, let's talk about this Let's talk about his biography. One of the things that, that at least I find difficult when you study Paul, he's a little bit hard to relate to because he's, he's like this crazy missionary. Like There's nothing that will stop this guy in proclaiming the gospel to the world. He, is, he was zealous before he, before he started following Christ. He started following Christ, and he was still zealous, although he wasn't killing people. Uh, he was laying down his very life for the sake of the gospel. He had no qualms at all about getting beaten up. He had no qualms at all about being shipwrecked and bitten by snakes. You name it, he didn't care. He, just, he was compelled to preach the gospel and in a reckless way. And most of us don't live our lives like that. And I'll, I'll give you permission to say that that's okay. Most of us aren't called to live a crazy life like Paul, yet we are called to walk in our anointing. We are called to step up into our calling. Each and every one of you, you have a calling that's similar to Paul. It doesn't mean that you're going to get on a boat and become a missionary. Usually that's why people don't want to accept Jesus, because they think they have to give up everything and go to Africa. But the reality is, is that there, there's a specific thing. There's only one thing that, there's one calling on your life that you have been called to do. 
And if you don't do this one calling, it's not going to happen. I believe that God is sovereign. God pretty much gets his way every time. But I know that I've been created in his image. And there's only certain things that Joshua Kapczynski can do. There's only certain things that God has called me to do. And there's only certain things that God has called you to do. It's going to be your unique expression in the kingdom of heaven. And this is how we can relate to Paul. Paul was such a huge figure, he literally changed the world. If it wasn't for Paul, I mean, this is going to be a little silly and a little cheeky, I don't know. But, like, just, just go with me, okay? Like, on our dollar bill, if it wasn't for Paul, it, it might say, in Odin we trust. Or in Thor we trust. Because he literally shaped and created what we call our Western civilization. Like, he infused the gospel into the Western civilization. And entire, like, barbarians came to Jesus because of his call to Europe. And that's kind of what we're going to look at, look at today. And my question is, if Paul had not received, if he had not been faithful, if he had not been obedient to that specific call to go to Europe, would it have happened? Again, God's sovereign. I guess, I, but we just don't know. These are one of these, these hypothetical questions that overactive pastors think about and philosophers think about, right? I don't know. I, frankly, I don't know. I mean, I would say that God's sovereign. He's gonna, his will is going to happen no matter what. But if you just think about it, okay, what if Paul had not have been obedient to the mission field? What would our country look like? It's a very interesting question. Okay, so uh, get your Bibles. Our text today is going to be uh, the book of Acts, and then we'll hit a couple of the epistles today. Acts chapter 13. Uh, from last week, uh, it, we went over the road to Emmaus. So Paul was persecuting the church uh, before, well, we're going to see the name change here when we read this text. But his name, before it was Paul, it was called, he was named Saul. And Saul was persecuting the church. He's on his way to Antioch to drag some people to jail. Um, he, gets not, he, get, he gets knocked off his horse by a beam of light. It actually doesn't say that he was on a horse in the text. But uh, one of my favorite paintings is by Caravaggio, and Caravaggio has him falling off of a horse. And so I like that interpretation. It's not biblical. I like it, though. So he gets knocked off of his horse. He gets blinded. He gets blinded. He has, to, he has a, a literal lens change. The scales fall off of his eyes, and he begins to see the world in a different way. I would say that his passion and his zeal to serve God has not changed. It's just been redirected. All right, here we go. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manahim, who had brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, that's Paul. His name hasn't been changed yet. 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So these two guys, Barnabas and Saul, they have a specific call. They are set apart. They are going to be made holy. They're going to be anointed for this one specific task. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So, the, the disciples that are in Antioch, they are commissioning Barnabas and Saul. They've already done a little bit of teaching. They've already done a little bit of work. But they haven't done the cool stuff yet. They haven't done what they have been destined to do quite yet. They're kind of, well, I'm not quite sure about Barnabas, but I know that Paul, he is still in training mode. He's got his training wheels still on him. The two of them, sent off by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia, and they sailed there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God to the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Patmos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That's not Jesus, it's Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, Son of Jesus, okay? It's not has no connection to Jesus. Jesus was kind of a popular name back in the day. And so, unfortunately, this false prophet, this sorcerer, was named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimaeus, the sorcerer, for which, he was, which his name means, he opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul uh, from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. So here's the name change, folks. Maybe they might want to underline this part. This is where the transition happens. Interesting, though. Interesting note. Uh, Peter gets his name changed, right? His name is Simeon. And Jesus says, ah, you know what, because of your declaration, because of your faith, because you, you said that the only way to heaven is through me, because of that verbal declaration, I'm changing your name from Simeon to Peter. You are going to be the rock, and I'm going to build my church upon your statement. So that's really cool. I mean, wouldn't you love for Jesus to change your name? That is what happens when we accept him into our heart, when he becomes uh, when, when, when the Spirit of God comes into our heart, you, you take on a new identity. You declare with your mouth and you, and, and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You begin to take on a new identity. And Peter actually gets a whole new name. It goes from Simeon to the rock. Uh, interesting, though, this doesn't happen to Paul. So on the road to Emmaus, when he gets blinded by the light of God, and when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting him? He does not say, I'm going to change your name to Paul. Why is that? We're not quite sure, but maybe we can figure it out.
Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimaeus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. And immediately a mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what, he, what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teachings about the Lord. This is Paul's first sign. This is his first real miracle. This is, he gets commissioned. He doesn't get a name from the Lord, but this is what we think happens. Do you guys remember the name of the proconsul? What was his name? Sergius what? Sergius Paulus. Of course, there's theological debate as to what this all means. And nobody agrees on anything because they need to build their career in theology. So you've got to have something to argue about, right? So what we think is that, okay, so Jesus didn't change Paul's name. Scholars will say, well, Paul had a, he had a Hebrew name and he had a Greek name, Paulus. But that's just all speculation. We don't know that. The the scriptures definitely don't say that. But what the scriptures do say is that Paul's first convert is named Paul. His first win, his first success in his calling is the conversion of a proconsul named Paul. And if you know the personality of Paul, he is the kind of guy that will say, this was my first guy, and I'm going to name myself after my first victory. And that's what I think is actually going on. Because Paul's call is unique. If you remember from last week, Paul, he, he, he was kind of an outsider even to the apostles and the disciples, because he was from a Greco-Roman city, Tarsus. He was, he was a Roman citizen. He had dual citizenship. He had, his identity was a little confusing to himself. He's the kind of guy that needed to prove himself because he didn't quite fit in. His unique call was to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And he was uniquely made for it. He was wired for it. He, he had a way to communicate. He, he, knew, he literally knew their language. He could speak their talk. He knew their slang. He knew their customs. Like, he was probably more of a Greek than he was a Hebrew because that's what he grew up in. And that might be a bit of a stretch. But he knew both. He knew both. 
And so what I think is going on here, there is a declaration and then there is, there, there is an agreement. There is a, and he speaks it out. He becomes his identity. The agreement is, yes, I'm going into agreement with my divine assignment to reach the Gentiles. And I'm going to call myself after the name of the first guy that I led to the Lord, Sergius Paulus. I think that's cool. I think that's the way that Paul would think. And again, that's pretty much all that we get in the scriptures as to why his name was changed. And so from now on, we'll call him Paul and not Saul. And Paul does something that I think we need to get. If you have been called by the Lord, which, I'm, I'm sorry, you have. <laughs> it's kind of a, you have, you, you have a calling on, on your life. If you stepped across that line of faith, it's not all going to be roses, is it? It's not going to be easy. Because in this life, Jesus tells us, there will be struggles. There will be hardships. Life isn't going to be easy. You have victory in life. That's that's Absolutely. When you are on God's side, you will inevitably win. But one of the things that we got to get, and I think deep down inside most of us know this, is that you are at war. Like your psyche, your soul, maybe even your spirit, like there is a tension deep down inside of us and you are at war. And you might not even know what you are in war with. Paul, he didn't necessarily understand it until he got knocked off his imaginary horse. But before the road to, before the road to Damascus, Paul was at war with God. And most of us live our... our unspiritual life in this tension because we want to do things our way, right? There is this, there is this desire to be the king of our own life that you know, no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm the master of my own destiny. Is that just me? No. And when you begin to have that attitude that you are in control of your own life, unfortunately, that is a declaration of war against the Lord, and it's not a good idea to, to be at war with God because usually he wins. He wins all the time, actually. But before we come across, before we make Jesus the Lord of our life, that's the reality. Whether we realize it or not, our carnal nature, our spiritual person is at direct conflict with God. And that was Paul. Until he was humbled, until he surrendered, until he, he, just wrote, he raised that white flag of surrender and said, Lord, who are you? Complete surrender. Now, I encourage everybody to get to that level of humility where you make, the, where you make Jesus the Lord of your life. Where you pull a Paul and you say, I'm sorry for fighting against you all of these years. It's futile. I know that you have the best for me, that your plans are to prosper me and not hurt me. Once we come into that alignment, 
guess what happens? Guess what happens when, the, when God is no longer your enemy? Does, this, does the battle stop? No, it doesn't. Things shift in the spirit. Things shift dramatically when God is no longer your enemy. No, you get a new enemy, and he's been activated instantly. The devil goes to war with you immediately when you step across that line of faith and you surrender your life to the lordship of Jesus. Now he cares about you. The devil, that is. Now the devil cares about you. Now you are a person of interest. When you were in your carnal self, when you were, before you were saved, he could care less about you. Because you, you're no threat. You offer no resistance to his plans. You're actually aiding his plans. But now things have completely changed. Now you, now you carry the very presence of God. Now you have the word inside of you and you have the power inside of you to speak life into any situation. And he's going to do anything possible to derail you. And this is what we're seeing going on in Paul's first sign. Ironically, this is probably what happened to Jesus in his first encounter, his first miracle. Now, Jesus' first miracle was what? He turned the water into wine, right? And I believe that's just because his mom made him. But he wasn't activated quite yet into ministry. Like the turning the water into wine thing um, was amazing, but again, that was just because his mom called in a favor. That's, that's a different message, right? <laughs> that's a different message altogether. No, but his first ministry, his first act of warfare actually mirrors what Paul is doing right now with the sorcerer because Jesus is teaching in the temple. And a, a, a person, a, a leader is actually demon-possessed. He's carrying this evil spirit that's manipulating and twisting the word of God. And so Jesus' first encounter, his first act of warfare is to cast that demon out. And it is absolutely amazing the way that he does it because he does it in a word, in one sentence. Paul is like most preachers. He talks too much, right? He didn't, he should have followed Jesus' model. Jesus did one very specific thing to the, to the evil spirit. He told it to shut up, and then it was gone. And the way that the, language, the, way that the word comes across, the way that he says stop, the way that he says shut up, it actually comes across as strangled. So this evil spirit that is speaking through this Jewish leader is mouthing off to, to Jesus, and Jesus says, shut up. And in the spirit, see, we can't see what's going on in the spirit, but there's power in Jesus' words. It's not just language. It's not just vocabulary. There is power in what Jesus speaks, and there's so much power that that principality, which probably was a principality, that principality falls and cannot talk any longer. Same thing happens with, with Paul and the sorcerer. You see, 
before Paul could be released into saving Europe, before he could be released into literally changing the world, he had to fight this power. He had to fight this principality. And the same is true for you, too. When you, when you step across that line of faith, when God is no longer your enemy, all hell will be released on you, and you've got to fight it. Huh? It is so frustrating. It is so frustrating when you are in battle, when you are face to face with a power or a principality or something else, some negative energy, whatever it may be. I'm no expert on demonology, but I know that that in the spiritual world, there are powers and principalities that are set against you. We don't like to hear this stuff. We'll talk about Jesus all day long. We'll talk about Paul all day long. We like it. Uh, But to actually talk about evil, negative spirits that offends our Western mind, that offends the way that our Platonic mind thinks. You know what I mean by that? Platonic uh, Platonism is the idea that there is a separation between your body and your spirit, in short. This is where we get these ideas that in heaven we are disembodied um, spirits floating around on clouds playing harps. Like there's actually nothing biblical about that. That's just all Greek thought. The biblical view of heaven would be the perfect form of this. Heaven means that you get a real body. Heaven wants to fix what we've messed up here. This is when Jesus says that heaven on earth, uh, on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. One of the definitions this isn't biblical either, but this is, a theolo- this is a philosophical definition of hell. One of the definitions of hell, if you will, is being an entity without any senses. So like you're Casper the friendly ghost, right? But Casper really doesn't have real ears and a real nose and a real mouth and he has no fingers, and he can't feel or touch. And he doesn't even have real eyes, so he can't see. So that's not God's intention for us. In the biblical view of how we are to be, how God created us for eternity, is to have one of these, to have this, this physical form. And this is the biblical teaching on our Selves, that there is a holistic expression of our creation. But in the spiritual world, there's things that we don't see, and they affect our material world. They affect the way that we think. They affect the way that we act. They even affect the way that we speak. They affect our relationships. They can even affect our financial situation. There's evil forces at work. Am I scaring everybody here? (laughs) No. This is real stuff. 
This is why it was Jesus' first showdown. This is why it was Paul's first showdown, was to put the powers and principalities on notice that it is rumble in the jungle time. It's on like Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, yeah, yeah. We are here to fight. And we, we, we recognize and we see, we see that you are real. One of the greatest lies that the devil ever told humanity was that he didn't exist, right? No, he does exist. And I'll make it very clear, because we don't want to develop some weird idea that we are going to have conversations with demons and we're going to fight demons in every, you know, behind every bush. That's absolutely ridiculous. We need to follow Jesus' model. We need to see it for what it is. We need to cast it down in the name of Jesus. And then we need to move on with the positive things that Jesus is doing in our lives. Can I get an amen on that one? Because he is real. Both Jesus and the man in the red tights. They're both real. And so what Paul does, he says, you are a liar. You are a child of the devil. Everything that you do is unjust and you speak untruth, right? So he, he, is, he is putting him, like he's like, I see you. So let me give you your assignment for this week. You need to recognize what the enemy is doing in your lives. Huh? What do you think about that? You need to see it. And you need to speak it down. And, 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 and I don't know if this, is, this probably isn't right. But you need to curse what the, what the devil is doing in your life. You need to break that curse. There we go. That's a better way to say it. Because we don't curse people, do we? No, that wouldn't be accurate. You need to break that curse. Let me, uh, let me read a couple more scriptures. And then I'll send you off. But... Paul begins, again, if you want to say he develops his theology, whatever. Um, but everything that we know about, well, not everything, but our grasp of the gospel really comes from his understanding. 2 Corinthians 10. You get to see his attitude in his heart. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid, when face to face with you, but bold when I am away, and I beg you that when I come, I may not ha- have to be so bold as to expect to be towards some people who think that we live by standards of this world. Okay, here we go. For though we live in the world, we do not what? We do not wage war as the world does. Okay, we are in this world, but we don't wage war as the world does. So hopefully we get this. Like the Crusaders didn't quite get this idea. Right? When I studied the Crusaders, I, I, think, they're, I think it's an interesting time in history. I think they're really cool. But keep in mind the Crusaders were pretty much one or two generations from being Vikings and barbarians. They behaved poorly. I'm sorry. If they hadn't been fighting each other, Israel would still be a Christian nation. Then I'll leave it at that. Sorry. Okay, anyway. um, The 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Castles is another definition of this word strongholds. Fortresses. Your King James might say fortress or stronghold. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, and we what? We make it obedient to Christ. So the weapons that we wage war with are not the weapons of this world. They're not carnal. They're not even intellectual in nature. No, they're spiritual. I know you have your own issues. You've got some stuff that you need to take care of. But most of the battles, most of the tension, most of the anxiety that you face in your life, it's spiritual. There's different levels of evil spirits. Again, I'm not an expert on it. But there's principalities. There, There are key evil spirits, fallen angels, higher up angels that have dominion over entire regions. There's one over this city, and he's going down. There's one over your city if you don't live in Claremont. You need to recognize it. You need to know that he's there, and you, and you need to pray him down. There are principalities over entire regions, over entire countries. Take a look at North Korea. There's a very strong spiritual principality over that country. Um, one giant one in Persia. The Bible talks about that one over and over and over again. So luckily, most of us don't have the, uh, we're not important enough to get the attention of a principality. The principalities are assigned to the big boys that, that God is using. The powers might be a little bit different. The powers might be something that is, uh, is a spirit that is, um, is a little more personality. Um, this again, I don't know. I don't know all of the details of this stuff, but the, the the power is something that can actually take control of an individual. Like this is the Exorcist kind of stuff, which Hollywood is completely messed up. Like, don't watch those movies. Don't let your kids watch those movies. If you let your kids watch The Exorcist or The Exorcist of Emily Rose, or any of those other things, we're going to have a conversation out in the parking lot. I might even take you off church grounds. Don't open your kids up to that stuff. Because it's not real. And it gives the enemy way too much glory. It, it gives the enemy way too much power, and, and it, it glamorizes him. I've actually cast out demons from people, and it's not that glamorous. I'm actually pretty good at it because I do Jesus' model, and I tell them to shut up, and then they go away. Our number one model in this church, just so you know, is we don't make it a three-ring circus. We protect the dignity of individuals. And as our church grows, occasionally you might see something weird, but you need to know that your pastors will handle it in a healthy way to protect the dignity of people. But as God begins to do stuff, you'll see some stuff. Now, those are the powers, and then there's all these little negative spirits or whatever. In that, they're like dust bunnies. 
And I think probably the reality of it is we don't necessarily have the man in red tights after us. We don't have uh, principalities after us. You might have some powers that are influencing you in your lives, but the reality is most of us Christians too, we have these little negative attaching spirits, these little dust bunnies. All you got to do is sweep them out of your house. Clean your house. Get rid of any soul ties, any attachments, any garbage, anything that is negative that has this tug on your soul. Get rid of that stuff. You don't need it. And begin to walk in the light. Declare with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That stuff goes away. Because it can't occupy the same space where the light of Jesus is shining. All right, let me get the band to come on up to the front. As they're on their way, let me read one more scripture and try to recommunicate to you what your homework is. I'm sorry for this nasally thing going on. It, it either really sounds cool or it's just annoying. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ, and he's forgiven you of all of your sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against you and, that you, and stood and opposed to us. He took it all away and nailing it to the cross. Isn't that cool? Like all of your sins, all of your negativity, all of those horrible thoughts that you think and some of the things that you actually acted on, he has taken those all away and he's nailed them on the cross. Right? Here we go. And having disarmed the powers and authorities or the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. Isn't that cool? Like one of the things that God delights in is making fun of the devil. And I want to encourage you to do the same. He made a public uh, spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So in the cross, because of the cross, uh, none of those powers, none of those principalities, none of those little dust bunnies, they have no authority in your life once you align yourself to what Jesus did on the cross, once you recognize that he, you have, he's nailed all of your sins and that, that he has died for you and he has died as if he was you, you are a new creation, as he just says, you were dead in your sins and your transgressions and now you are a brand new creation. So we don't have to live. It's actually probably illegal for us to live under spiritual oppression. So I want to encourage you when, you, when you respond to your call, the call that is on your life, when God is no longer your enemy, but the powers and the principalities become your enemy, recognize them with your mouth, speak them down with a word, and get back into what God has called you to do, and literally change the world. That one thing that only you can do, and if you don't do it, it doesn't get done.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for a living, breathing, active God. Somebody that is, that is interested in me, that is interested in all of us, that's interested in your friends and your family. And so God, right now, we recognize those evil spirits. They're dumb. They have no power. The only power that they have is what we give them. But those, those negative spirits that are infecting relationships, God, we cast those down in the name of Jesus. They've got no place in our lives anymore. Those negative spirits that are attaching themselves onto our emotions, we cast those off in the name of Jesus and we say no more. Those negative spirits that even come on our physical bodies. Although we live in a broken world, we know that we, the weapons that we wage war against are not the weapons of this world. And so some of us are sick because of spiritual issues. Some of us are sick because you're sick. And that's okay. But God, right now we cast that we hold every thought captive and we make those thoughts obedient to Christ. So the ones that don't belong in our heads, we cast those out in the name of Jesus. The ones that are from the spirit of the living God, we capture those thoughts and we guard them in our hearts. So we thank you so much, Jesus, for imparting to us every good and perfect gift. Thank you, God. And with every head bowed, bowed and every eye closed, if, you, if you're tired of God being your enemy and you want him to be on your side, just raise your hand. I'd like to just go into agreement with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you guys. So God, right now we just we just raise that white flag of surrender and we give you we give Jesus the lordship of our lives. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespasses. Show us what it means to have the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And the powerful assignment. of going to war with the enemy of God. Just bless us, Lord, in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.